Domines Vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We can. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Jesus summoned them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles Rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Verbum Domini. Take a moment, please, and make sure your cell phone is turned off. Apaga los teléfonos celulares, por favor. I've mentioned it before. If someone arrived now or later in the Holy Mass, stayed even to the final blessing, they would not fulfill their obligation to attend Holy Mass on Sunday. Why? What's that about? Well, the gospel. We just heard the gospel. The gospel is an essential part of the Holy Mass. It can't be skipped. But after this Mass, we have an 8 o'clock Mass. They could attend that one. Turn to page 4. You see the schedule for the Mass is there. Um, today, I, I didn't put it in there, but today, October 18th, um, if it weren't a Sunday, we'd be celebrating the Feast of St. Luke, the one who wrote the Gospel of St. Luke. Tomorrow, is the uh, Feast of the North American Martyrs, the Jesuits, uh, before our country was founded. Also, another note, uh, Blessed Jersey Popielusko um, is martyred in Poland, October 19, 1984. Um, if you type that name in, you're going to find that he was the priest who worked closely with St. John Paul II. Um, his feast day is Thursday. It's only the second time that we've had the feast of St. John Paul II. So uh, Jersey, uh, Jerry, uh, Father Jerry, worked uh, with the Pope. In, the, in Poland, the, he worked to get the Solidarity Movement started, and the communists killed him. Imagine that, communists killing someone. Well, yeah, you don't have to imagine it. They killed uh, hundreds of millions. Oh, they're not finished either. Uh, that's why I think we really need to embrace Castro's Cuba because they, they've never said, I'm sorry. It's full speed ahead. 
have no idea. I don't know if you heard last week. Um, the uh, you know the Russians are um, um, fighting now in Syria. Guess who went there to fight with the Russians? Yeah, the Cubans. They're not helping us. Um, anyway, I'll try to try to concentrate here. Page five, uh, the top of page five, the Feast of Saint Paul of the Cross. Um, that's um, Tuesday. When I was a kid, we had these great priests who would come to our parish. They, they give these um, the the sermon on Sunday and then a mission during the week. Uh, people would line up around the block for confession, and the church was packed. Everybody loved it. That's why they decided to change their recipe. Now they've just got a handful. It reminds me of, remember when they got rid of that classic Coke? Everybody loved it. That's why we got rid of it. Yeah, those people got fired, didn't they? Anyway, that's the uh, Passionist. They were started by St. Paul of the Cross. Then John Paul II, St. John Paul II on Thursday. St. John of Capistrano. He's the patron saint of Swallows, whatever that means. Anyway, and then here's the, um, an archbishop in Cuba, a saint. We really need to ask him his help. Look back on page four. I forgot to mention uh, tomorrow evening is a communion service just before the Women's Guild meeting. If um, you'll turn now to page seven. The Knights of Columbus, uh, congratulations. It wasn't yesterday, it was a week ago uh, that they had the Oktoberfest. Um, some of the Knights of Columbus are, are actually able to walk around now after a week of groaning, moaning. They worked their legs off. That's great. Congratulations. The, uh, all of the charity that the Knights of Columbus will do over the next 12 months comes from the Oktoberfest. The reports I heard all day long, there were steady crowds going in there. And charity never tasted so good. So congratulations to Knights of Columbus. And thank you to everyone who bought tickets, attended, told your friends about it, uh, uh, put it on Facebook. It's, it, probably everything is on Facebook. Yeah, anyway, the uh, page 7, uh, speaking of meals, um, the, uh, here's grace after meals. Now, I would just guess that most people don't say grace after meals. I would say probably most people don't say grace before meals. So um, how am I going to get you to start saying grace after meals and getting your kids and your grandkids to, to do it too? Well, when you're dead, uh, oh, by the way, you will die. Ten out of ten people die. You know how I know? I saw it in a movie. Ten out of ten people die. So um, it was Bella. Anyway, um, the, um, when you die, do you want people to pray for you? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. What are the odds of that happening? Let me look around your own family. What are the odds of that happening? Yeah, not too good. But if you teach them to pray grace after meals, some mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, they slip this one in there. Look at that. Look how grace after meals ends. If you blink, you'll miss grace after meals. It's so short. It's like one of my homilies. Yeah. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in. Look at that. Look at that. Praying for the dearly departed. The um, the uh, women's guild meeting. If you're not uh, if you're not a member of the women's guild, if you're a woman in the parish and you'd like to attend, you are most welcome. Um, they'll waive the the cover charge. No, just kidding. There is no cover charge. 
you, you're most welcome to come, um, and you might want to join afterwards. The, uh, the uh, outreach director of Women in Need in Rockwall, she'll be giving the program. This is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Then look over on page nine. This is all about the, the photos on the cover of the bulletin. You know St. Therese? She's called uh, The Little Flower. Here's one of the two books I have mentioned there. This is the one that's the coffee table size book. And this says uh, Teresa. This is the one in Spanish. The one I have mentioned in the bulletin there, that's in English. Um, the, um, but I could find the one in Spanish. Couldn't find the one in English. <laughs> anyway, St. Therese, as I mentioned there, she was, uh, she's called The Little Flower. Um, and um, today her mom and dad, today her mom and dad, just hours ago, were canonized. Um, they were declared saints. Now, you see where Our Lady Guadalupe is over there? On the, other side of, out, on the other side of that wall, outside there, there is a statue that someone gave me of St. Therese. It's about six feet tall. Imagine taking St. Therese, oh, over here, you see at the back, where the, where the roses are at the very back wall there, the brown, that's St. Therese. That's a very beautiful statue of St. Therese. Um, somebody gave me an outdoor statue of St. Therese. Think of St. Therese meets the Incredible Hulk. That's what the statue looks like out there. It, it weighs a ton. It's in five pieces. I, I like the statue. I like the statue because I think St. Therese really likes that statue because it makes her look so funny. Um, most women wouldn't like to be depicted as weighing a thousand pounds. The, um, and that's what this statue does. And her hands and all this, anyway. So at, um, at May, I bought some, some plants, um, put them there around the statue of St. Therese. And they have these beautiful flowers. They bloom at night. Um, and they kind of look like white trumpets, kind of like Easter lilies. And they're very prolific. Well, the plants that I bought died back. But they dropped seeds on the ground in front of her statue. So these volunteers came up over the summer. This morning, this morning, there were all these flowers in front of the statue of St. Therese. Now, St. Therese was the youngest child of her parents, number nine. So this morning I went to the statue and I saw the flowers. I have never seen that many flowers on those plants since I put them out in May. And these are the volunteers. The, 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 the first plants, they're not producing flowers anymore. But the ones in front, they're healthy and they're producing flowers. And I counted them. I went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I went, oh, only eight flowers. Oh, we're one short. Then I could hear St. Therese laughing, saying, hey, dummy, I'm the little flower. <laughs> anyway. They, uh, there were eight flowers. I've never seen eight flowers blooming at the same time. Uh, she's number nine. Anyway, you'll probably be reading about it on 60 Minutes or in the newspaper, something like that. So um, the other book uh, by Father Christopher O'Mahony, uh, Therese, by those who knew her, you ought to get that book. It's very inexpensive, and it's great, great. Um, this week, or over the weeks ahead, if you would like to pick up a copy of our financial report, several pages, just pick it up in the office during the, the office hours. Friends, I don't know if you know it, but this church opens early in the morning and stays open all day, closes around 10, 15, 10, 30. Once in a while, like on Thursdays, 
It might close at 5 in the afternoon and open again at 8.30. Other than that, the other days it's open from early in the morning, nonstop, until 10.15 or so. How's that possible? Your support. Um, and uh, thank you. So the, um, it's, it's tremendous. People stop in to pray all the time. Uh, daylight saving times end. This is the, friends, do you, do you recognize how important this is? This is the, the hour they took away from us in the spring. They're giving it back to us, November 1st. Friends, that never happens with government, not state, um, not local, state, or national government. They take something, they never give it back. Except for this one. That's why I love it. <laughs> Looks like some of you are getting an early start. The, um, open those eyes. Okay. And then uh, page 11. Um, page 11. Friends, I really think we need to use um, this approach with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family members. And it's a way of talking about this without using um, one reference to the Catholic faith. Okay? I'm serious. Well, the catechism, the Catholic Church, I'm not Catholic. Oh, well, that's what you believe, but I'm not a Catholic. Da, 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 da. Anyway, so whenever somebody's going to have a major operation or a minor operation, some kind of procedure, if you hear about it, just say, have you, have you, have you looked at, have you gotten a second opinion? Oh, I can't afford that. Okay, have you typed it into Google or Bing? Well, you, you can do that and just type in the procedure, the operation, and side effects. And you get this list, Right? The same thing with any medication that you're taking. Um, look at the side effects. Okay? Uh, this applies to men and women. If I could go back over the last 26 years, well, what does Jesus teach about this? Uh, it's like when it comes to um, operations, like um, um, uh, for men not to have children, or an abortion, or the pill, or something they're going to put under the skin, oh, go ahead, go ahead. You know, the Knights of Columbus have really taken the lead across this country. They've got these sonogram machines that give you a 3D picture of the baby. So many women never even saw that before. They get a 3D picture of their kid right there. And they're, they're, then the, the Crisis Pregnancy Center is going to help them. Friends, not to go into too much more detail, but this is a way, this is a way we can move forward. Don't look back. Look forward. And if, if some of these things happen to you, help someone, not let it happen to them. Oh, how many men have said, well, the doctor told me there was no side effects. He's like, yeah. Well, wonder if Google would agree with your doctor. Uh, what's, what's that word in French? Oh, yeah, oops. Yeah, oops. Yeah, uh, he, he didn't tell me. Yeah, oh, come on, you'll be in and out. It'll be just, just a minor thing. Yeah, look at the consequences. Not a one mention of, um, of Catholic faith this or Catholic faith that. Just look at side effects. A second opinion is good. A lady told me today she has a doctor, she had a doctor, and she said, this doctor is so good, he demanded that I get a second opinion. So uh, that's a good doctor. Page 12. This is from last week. Friends, there are three options here. If you don't defend yourself, A... Someone else, somebody else might defend you. Somebody else will defend you. Somebody else won't defend you. There are no other options. 
Um, so the Second Amendment, a lot of people have been talking about the Second Amendment. Um, but uh, on last Friday, October 9th, two men, two university professors, they teach economics. They were talking about the Second Amendment and they had exactly opposite opinions. When I was, a, when I was in college, the economics professors talked about um, uh, economics. Um, and they approached this from an economic uh, point of view. But uh, go and look at these. This, it's not some huge report or anything like that. But look at these two opposing opinions. Maybe it'll change your mind. Well, I, I always thought... Uh, da, da. The, um, I like number two um, because he said... I'm going to have to quit my job teaching at the university because I'm afraid one of my students is going to come in and shoot me. And I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm so afraid I'm going to quit next year. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm supposed to take you seriously. <laughs> no. If you really mean it, you quit yesterday. Right? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I can't do that. The, uh, anyway, the uh, flower arrangements here, um, the, uh, these two are for the uh, parents of St. Therese. Um, her father, uh, uh, Louis Martin, Zelie and Louis Martin. From now on, I'll call him Martin because I'm probably mispronouncing it. Anyway, it, he had a great devotion to Our Lady of the Rosary. This is Our Lady of the Rosary. And the one around the, the corner on the floor, that's St. Therese. So there's one for mom and dad and their youngest child. Okay. Now look at the first reading today, the first line of the first reading. You won't believe it. It went, probably went right past you. From the prophet Isaiah, the Lord. God is another way to say the Lord. God was pleased to crush him in infirmity. In the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, write that on a card and send it to somebody. Have a nice day. God was pleased to crush him in infirmity. Hope you're well. Love. Uh, right? What is that about? Um, Jesus quotes two books from the Old Testament more than any other books. The book of Psalms and the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. And there is a section of Isaiah that talks about God's suffering servant. And I've heard suffering servant of Yahweh, suffering servant of God for years. You know another way of saying the same thing? The suffering slave of God. But you, even in the gospel today, you hear a servant, 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 slave, servant, servant, slave, servant. It's slave. This is a voluntary. Slavery is bad. But this is a, an example of someone who is a voluntary slave. Remember, uh, Abram was told by God to take his only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him on a mountain. He would show him. And so uh, the, last, the last bit, the wood for the sacrifice was loaded on the back of Isaac, and he carried it up the mountain where, where he uh, assembled it uh, on an altar and then he climbed up on top. Why? Because his father told him to. Um, he was a willing slave of his father. Um, Isaac was. Isaac gets us ready for, for him because just across from there is where Jesus 
um, uh, carried the wood of his sacrifice and was nailed to the cross. God wouldn't let Abram kill his only son Isaac. But God was pleased to crush him in infirmity. The, um, don't, you want to, don't you just want to hide the kid from something like that? It's so severe. Now let's go to the gospel today. The, uh, remember last Sunday? The young man runs up to Jesus. How do I know he's a young man? Um, are we older men? We don't run. Right? So he runs up to Jesus and he kneels down in front of him and he says, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus told him. And you know what he did? He turned, away, he turned around and walked away. Now, somebody who's walking away from Jesus is not following Jesus. Right? Um, that's happened to me and you, your children, your grandchildren. If it, happened, if it hasn't, it will. So he, oh, he runs up. Oh, Jesus is going to trip over him like Dick Van Dyke. The, um, he runs up and kneels right in front of him and he says, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus tells him, and he wants another answer. Jesus told him, and the answer involved suffering. He had to be a volunteer, a voluntary slave. And it's like, no, there's got to be another way than this. Yeah. So here, the, the next, this is the gospel after that. James and John, two apostles, brothers. It's great to see brothers who are adults still talking to each other. Anyway, they run up to Jesus and they, they, they said, uh, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? It's, it, doesn't it sound like a father talking to his sons? Um, Jesus, their teacher. These are his spiritual children, right? Okay, well, what do you want? Well, um, when you come into your glory, we, we want to be one on your left and one on your right. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Um, then Jesus says this, can you drink the cup that I drink? What's the cup that Jesus drinks? Here it is right here. The cup of suffering. Remember the first reading? God was pleased to crush him in suffering. Right? Um, uh, can you drink the cup that I drink? The cup of suffering. Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Remember John the Baptist baptized Jesus and so many others. And then the last, the last act of his life, John the Baptist was baptized. Yeah, remember that? When, um, when King Herod ordered that his head be cut off, he was baptized in his own blood. That heart kept pumping. Yeah. He was baptized in his own... Is it, is it graphic? Yeah, it is. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across to James and John. Um, oh, when did this gospel happen? Let's see. Happened during the last week of his life. Yeah, the last week. So, um, uh, the, um, the parents, the parents, uh, St. Louis and St. Zelie Martin... They're being canonized because they're her um, parents. Just because they're the parents of a saint, they get to be saints. Well, if that was true, my mother would be a saint. Yeah, right. The, uh, no, they're, they're not canonized because they're related to her. Um, the, um, and right now, when you look around Hollywood, 
sports figures, important people, they have no clue that in the lives of these two people, there was great suffering. And they said, bring it on from the very beginning. Now, you may not know this, but they were high school sweethearts. And they, they always knew that they were going to get married to each other. Oh, wait a minute. That's not true. Um, he went into the seminary. He thought he was going to be a priest. She thought she was going to be a nun. And they weren't even like next door or anything like that. So um, he was in the seminary and he's praying, is this where I should be? And God said, no, nope, you need to leave. And so he left and he moved in with his mom and dad and he learned how to make clocks. He's a very expert clock maker. The, uh, can you imagine? <laughs> with nine kids, they were going to have nine kids. Hey, listen, where's, the, where's my tool? Uh, where's that flywheel? I don't know. The, uh, <laughs> anyway, so he's living with mom and dad, and his mom um, goes to learn how to make lace. Now, Zelly, St. Zelly, I bet she made that lace collar around her neck. Very beautiful. Very beautiful woman, too. Um, the, um, she met Zelly, and of course, what did the mother do? Matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah. Um, and this is the way that she got um, her spare room back. Uh, she got him married off, and you, you see what it means, right? Now, these two people were in fierce competition. It doesn't look like it, does it? They were incredibly competitive from day one. You see, he understood what Jesus tells us through the writings of St. Paul. He was very competitive with her. In fact, every day he got up and he tried to serve her more then she could serve him. And she got up every morning and tried to serve him more than he could serve her. Yeah, that's the competition that was in this. And this fierce, voluntary slavery, they passed on to their nine children. Um, now, these two people were, 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 were terribly in love and they never had a problem one. It was, it was just beautiful. Oh, yeah, I mean, there was a the fact that when she was three, she died of breast cancer. And this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? So St. Zelly, she died of breast cancer. Oh, that was really hard on the kids, hard on Lewis. Later on, Lewis had a stroke, and then another stroke, and then uh, dementia. So he had to be... He had to be placed in a home and cared for by his family. Uh, are you kidding? They, they had problems. They had, they had incredibly large problems. Um, but what they taught their children, their children learned from up close and personal example of this kind of fierce competition. It involves suffering, incredible suffering. So St. Therese, when she was 15, this is a picture of St. Therese, um, Okay, now, I want you to cover that left eye. Okay, can you read that top line? Okay, isn't that what it looks like, right? <laughs> anyway, St. Therese, this picture of her is when she was 15. She entered the convent when she was 15 and went to live in a place where she would never leave uh, for the rest of her life, and she died before she turned 25. So when she died, what, she was five years younger than I am. So... Um, St. Therese, St. Therese, 
the first thing she did when she, one of the first things she did when she went into the convent, uh, living with about 20 other women, she put on a play. She wrote a play and then put on the play for the sisters in the convent. It was on the life of St. Joan of Arc. If you look over there, below St. Therese, on this side you see in, in, in silver and red, that's the statue of St. Joan of Arc. She, she was killed by a Catholic bishop in 1431. The Catholic bishop was from Britain, and of course, St. Joan of Arc was from France. They were, they were warring um, against each other. But as a Catholic bishop, um, anyway, when St. Therese, as a young woman, read the life of St. Joan of Arc, she was so inspired. You see how St. Therese holds a, a crucifix to her breast, and St. Joan of Arc holds a sword over her heart like that. Well, St. Joan of Arc was an amazing woman, and her short life was even briefer than her life. And um, so she wrote a play about this, and she put it on, and the sisters loved it. See, back then, in the, in the late 1800s, there was no TV. Um, and the, what do you call it, the cell phone coverage was, was really bad. But anyway, the... Um, so she put on the play, and the sisters loved it, so they said, do it again. Put on the play again. So she put on the play again, and some of the other sisters got, got involved, and they, they put some curtains up behind her. And I don't know where they found it, but they got a smoke machine so that when Joan of Arc is being burned at the stake, the smoke is all coming up. The, um, I, I, I wouldn't know where to get one of those. In fact, we, we just make our own um, here. The, uh, anyway, so... So St. Therese is putting on this play, and these sisters are right there sitting in front. Mother Superior is front and center. All of a sudden, there's a malfunction with the smoke machine, and it catches on fire, and it catch, starts to catch the other drapes on fire. And Mother Superior sees all this. St. Therese sees it. Now, 15-year-old young woman, oh, fire. She's going to run, run, run. The mother, mother, mother superior saw it and she said, don't move. And St. Therese overrode her emotions. She stood stone still, like that statue over there, um, and they put out the fire. If St. Therese had run, she could have knocked something over. The fire could have burned the whole place down. Everybody could have been killed. The, um, but St. Therese understood that she was a slave. That's an example of the voice of the mother superior telling her, don't move. And she was a slave in this convent. Now, the fortunate thing is that everyone in the convent knew St. Therese, knew her to be a very good woman, and they understood her um, from A to Z. No, that's not true. It's not true at all. It's just like your family. You mean there are people in my family that don't understand this or that? Well, of course. Just like every other family. St. Therese, um, she died um, just before her 25th birthday of fulminating tuberculosis. Oh, it's wretched. So uh, months before she died, she had to be moved to the hospital part of the convent, the infirmary. And so uh, the, um, when, when someone is in the final stages of that, they start to cough up their own blood. And that's what was happening to her. So her red count was going way down. So she didn't have energy at all. 
She had no energy. So um, um, well, St. Therese had to write her autobiography because her superior ordered her to do it. And part of the autobiography we hear is that two sisters came in to, uh, to visit St. Therese. They're older sisters. She's so young. She's just 24. Now, they didn't come in. I would guess they didn't come in to see Therese. They came in for this. What is that? Anyway, the, uh, nothing. The, um, they came in to check out what was going on. And so they're at the foot of the bed, and Therese is lying down, and she has her eyes closed. Again, like some of you right now. Eyes closed. You better stop that. Anyway, the, uh, so she's lying there, but she's so weak. She can hear everything going on. And the sisters are talking. And one of the sisters says, um, you know, she's so young, and she doesn't do anything around this place. Like she's lazy. Yeah. Okay. And then another, another one of the sisters says, the other sister says, yeah, and her father, poor man, he had one stroke and then another stroke and now he has dementia. I know why Lewis had those strokes. Because she, the youngest girl, she entered the convent at so young and it broke his heart. If I was St. Therese and I was in that bed, I would use my last red cells to get out of bed and strangle at least one of the two. Hopefully I would strangle both of them and then it would see three nuns dead in the infirmary. Can you imagine them trying CSI trying to figure that out in the late 1800s? We've got three dead nuns here. What happened? And there's no gun. Right? St. Therese, St. Therese didn't even spit on them, right? She offered, she was a volunteer slave. And where did she learn, where did she learn it from? Right. Friends, think about it. Some people can only have one child. They want more. They can only have one. Some people can have zero. I mean, some people can't have any children. Some people have one. Some people have four or five. Some, they had nine. Some have 19. You know, if you just got one, you're a slave. The rest of your life, you're a slave. And the kids know it. And they're probably not going to understand what you're doing and what you're saying. But you're a slave. Um, when um, when um, that first reading says uh, God was pleased to crush him in infirmity, in suffering. Uh, when, uh, when, you, when you read the early saints talking about Jesus on the cross, they talk about Jesus taking his cross and using it as a wine press to crush, the, you know, you, to crush the grapes. You put them in a wine press, squeezes the juice out of them so you can make wine. Jesus calls himself, I am the new wine. You don't put old wine, I mean, you don't put new wine into old wineskins, right? Jesus is the new wine. The first miracle at the wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus is the new wine. And he allows himself to be crushed by his father. And what, I should get a pass? You should get a pass? See, um, where are your children going to learn this? Where? Well, they're going to first learn it from mom and dad. Um, uh, it doesn't, you're not, you're going to be misunderstood. It's going to be, it's going to cost you everything. Um, but if you wish to be a follower of Christ, then you wish to follow his example. 
and do exactly that. Um, the, um, and you will be a voluntary slave. Anything less, you're not following him. He made himself a slave for me and you and everyone else. But if you or I run up to Jesus, beg him to tell us what we need to do, and we turn around and walk away, we are not followers. How are we followers of him if we're walking away? God was pleased to crush him in infirmity. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.